Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is also provided by the PDX Executive Assembly, a membership of leaders from Portland companies, led by executives from the Trailblazers, Adidas, Yakima, and more, Assembly's curated cohorts of executives serve to accelerate leadership development and build a meaningful network of peers, free from press and sales solicitation. Join now at pdxexecutiveassembly.com. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast a show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. So Moran, thanks for joining the podcast. Dan, it's my pleasure. So the people that don't know you, do you mind, you know, I, I just read your book, Lost and Founder, want to get into that, but if you don't mind just giving a quick background, you know, who you are, uh, what you're up to now, we can kind of get into it. Sure. So I dropped out of college in 2001 and started a company, or started working with my mom at a company that eventually became uh, Moz. And mm-hmm. Moz is a 170-person software startup in Seattle, Washington, uh, venture-backed, and serves mostly SEO professionals and web marketers who need to do SEO with a big suite of tools mm-hmm to help specifically around you know, getting rankings in Google and um, increasing the traffic that they earn from search engines. Right, and so you, you're still the executive chairman of Moz, correct? I am still the uh, board chairman. Board chairman. Board of directors chairman, yeah. yeah. I stepped down as, so I was CEO from 2007 when we raised our first round right. until uh, 2014. Yeah. And then stepped down and promoted my longtime chief operating officer to that role. Uh, I departed the company in February as a full-time employee and and have started this new company called Spark Toro mm-hmm. and you know had the book Lost and Founder come out uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, so I want to get into I mean I want to hear about your new uh, company, the book I was telling you earlier before we recorded, you know, I just really connected. It was a very vulnerable book to write. Oh, and you know, it was it's like a it's a almost like a handbook for people starting a company. But uh, you also talk a, a lot about some things we'll get into as uh, leading people and just being an executive and balancing that, right? So what prompted you, what was the motivation to write a book? Because you were working for Moz while you started it, right? So what was kind of the motivation be- behind that? Yeah, I think um, after I stepped down as CEO, I was still uh, assuming that I would be involved in a lot of projects and um, work around the company at an equivalent or nearly equivalent level to what I'd done as CEO. And that uh, did not end up being the case, which was a little surprising to me. And mm-hmm. so I um, I found myself not with what a normal person would call free time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, for someone who's sort of work addicted like I am, right. uh, I found myself with some additional time. I wanted to take on a project that I thought could be uh, useful and helpful mm-hmm. to people uh, that you know was also fulfilled a personal passion. And so I... Yeah, put together this book proposal and pitched some folks in New York and uh, and found a great publisher in Penguin Random House mm-hmm. and um, 
started on this project. But the, the, you know, the goal behind it was like, I kept having the same conversation over and over again with, with not just founders, right. With folks like yourself who, right. you know, run uh, media programs like, like this podcast mm-hmm. or uh, events series, mm-hmm. uh, people who run businesses or organizations or not-for-profits on the side, mm-hmm. uh, executives of all kinds who have teams and are trying to get things done in their organizations. And that it was always the same thing. It was, Hey, you've been through a bunch of this nasty, ugly stuff and you're willing to write publicly about it uh, on your blog. Can we talk through some of that Mm -hmm. stuff together? Well, like I said, it's, you don't get that candidness a lot. And I think at the beginning of your book, you talk about, you know, what you, um, just, you're going to kind of lay it out, right. The the journey. So, you know, when I, I used my former life, I used to run a, uh, small book publishing company. So I know that process. And it's funny that obviously the, the formats have changed with digital. I got your book right here, my iPad, I'm going to bring up, but you say, I'm going to write this book, but this process, it's deeply isolating to write a book. Right. So how long did it take you? Gosh, I, at least for me, it was not, it was not at all isolating. Um, I think I'm naturally surprisingly introverted (laughs) for a founder, CEO, public face of a company. Uh, but also, I think that the process of writing meant that I reflected a lot on on a few things. One, what are things that are important to me that are important to no one else? Right. And an editor is awesome for that. Right. Yeah. So my editor, uh, Nikki, would come back and say, I can tell you're really passionate about this. I can tell this means a lot to you. And this is not serving your audience. So we're going to cut it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was actually a really good exercise for me. And then the second part of that is that writing about these things means that you have to process them on an intellectual level in a way that is different from just thoughts jumbling around your head or conversations mm-hmm. you might have, you know, over coffee or over a beer. And I think that in that processing came a lot of catharsis. Hmm. And also like reaching because you you do um Talk about a lot of people that have been on this journey, not only in the venture world, but your early employees. So reaching back out to, did you reach back out to people to kind of like, Hey, I'm going to tell this story. I want to make sure I'm telling it right. And was that you know helpful? And yeah, making sure I was telling right. And also asking for permission, right. From right. a lot of folks. Cause I was telling stories that were not always or exclusively mine to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, yeah, that process was interesting too. I, I, I didn't, uh, didn't encounter much push back on that. Thankfully. That's, that's good. So, well, there's a few things specific I want to get into the book about, and, you know, you talk a lot about the VC model and how the pros and cons, yeah. right. And why it was uh, good for mods to take when you did, but also, you know, you're taking a little different approach to your new company. So one of the things, the, the chapters, I mean, you don't technically sign the deal in blood. <laughs> and some of the quotes were, you talk about the pros and cons, like personal happiness and successfully raising venture capital are, are re- rarely correlated. Absolutely true. Yeah. And so tell me about, I mean, you're kind of, I want to say putting the VC model on blast, you know, in this book, but you do, you, you know, you called out a little bit. So, oh, sure. So yeah. I think that what's interesting about this is that I've never met uh, a VC who says anything but these same kinds of things, right? That VC <laughs> is wrong for 99% of companies, right. right? That unless you're willing to do, you know, to follow this sort of crazy model that the capital return demands, mm-hmm. you should not take VC. That unless you are, you know, willing to make a lot of personal and professional sacrifices, that VC is not right for you. Right. All those kinds of things. So I don't think I'm telling anyone anything that the venture world doesn't try and make public. Yeah. The, I think the problem, though, is that when that message gets 
amplified to a broader public, when it gets amplified by the media, when it gets amplified in popular culture, um, when it gets talked about even in the tech press, yeah, uh, it is glorified. Venture capital is glorified in a way that dulls down the sharpness of these problems and sacrifices. Right. And you talk about like, we would be, we are a successful company, but in the eyes of some of these ventures, like you're not. These yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so Moz, um, just for reference, will probably do, I don't know, a little over $50 million yeah. in revenue this year. Uh, about 10% of that will go to the bottom line. So, you know, it's a profitable mm -hmm. company, which is very rare, by yeah, the way, for a venture-backed yeah. firm. Um, and, you know, it's growing, but growing relatively slowly. Uh, probably will do, I don't know, 10%, 11% growth, which mm -hmm. is pretty similar to last year's. Mm -hmm. And that is... If you and I were running that company, we'd be high five yeah, yeah, and like yeah. we would be thrilled. Oh my yeah. God, we just made fifty million dollars. Right. We employ all these people. We have all these happy customers. We're, you know, we're dropping five million dollars in profit. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. But if you're venture backed, that's not an interesting business. Right. That is not going to help move the needle on the fund, uh, and therefore, you know, it's it's kind of a messy, stuck in the middle business. Yeah. And, and again, we'll get into your company because you're taking a different approach, but you know, looking back, you have this one sub chapter says, not that I don't love our 15 year old Kia, but being a millionaire might've been fun. And you detail this offer you had yeah. and you kind of go painstakingly relive it. And so I think that again, it was, is, is very important because you're saying, um, you know, some companies you should sell your startup. Yeah. Right? Well, I think, I think one of the um, the you know the pendulum swings back and forth regularly yeah. with our companies selling too early or our founders not taking off money off the table when they should. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I think right now we're in a period of people are selling out too early mm -hmm. is the focus of a lot of uh, chatter in the field and the media. Um, and I think that that might be true as far as the broader economy is concerned, but I, yeah. I would really encourage founders to look at themselves, their early employees, the people who have a stake, who could right. be looking at, you know, a life-changing event, mm -hmm. um, a life-changing event for themselves, mm -hmm. for their families, for, for the, the generations of their families to come, right. um, and consider whether keep, whether to keep spinning that roulette reel and, yeah. you know, it's not putting it all on black. Like you're right. putting it on number 16 right. on the wheel and yeah. hoping. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Cause you, in the book, you, you, like you said, you pull back up the email, right? Oh of yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I keep it. So well, a couple other things and we'll, we'll transition the conversation, but again, you know, I'm not a tech founder. So, uh, you know, I didn't obviously relate to everything in the book is still really interesting. But one of the things I really connected with, I think it's important for my audience too, is you talk about self-awareness as a superpower. You talk about this time where you just left Moz. You, I think it was um, one of your investors, Brad Feld from mm -hmm. Foundry Group, holds a retreat for CEOs and you were invited to kind of lead um, one of the sessions. And you asked that, or someone asked, was it you maybe, but who, you know, here has experienced severe depression or anxiety and almost all the hands went up. Yeah. Every hand in that room, which was in the high thirties of yeah. CEO founders uh, of these venture backed companies, right. some of whom have now, you know, had public exits, some mm -hmm. of whom have had, you know, multi hundred million dollar mm -hmm. um, sales and they, yeah, two, two exceptions yeah. only in that room yeah. who didn't raise their hand. Everybody else hands went up and pretty readily. Right. Right. So that, that makes you question uh, whether there's a correlation or a causation going on there. Right. Is it, is it the case that people who 
have these um, gifts and abilities and willingness to build these companies? Are they also people who tend to suffer from these mm-hmm. mental and emotional uh, problems? Mm-hmm. Or is it the case that running a company, building a company causes you to right. feel these ways? And it wasn't, you know, it's not out, not people talking about enough of about enough about it right yeah so like this is why people feel so incredibly alone when it happens to them right you know i look at um i mean this this is we're we're having this conversation what within days of kate spade and anthony bourdain right you know these high profile people who were 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 worshipped and lauded Mm -hmm. and you know we would say they had everything and Mm -hmm. clearly they did not Mm -hmm. they they you know, inside their heads and their hearts, they were suffering. Yes. And I, and you talk about how you just felt like this, I wouldn't say relief, but just like this connection with the other CEOs, right? That yeah. So, Feeling like you're yeah. not the only one. Right. Like you're not alone. Yeah. Is an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah. I think that's sort of, I don't know, feels to me like it's a driving force mm-hmm. in American culture right now on, you know, politically and sociologically right. and you know, on all these dimensions. So what are your advice for someone who's starting their own company, whether they're really young or someone who's an seasoned executive, who's going to strike on their own. Um, what would your be advice to them on that front of just, yeah. So when it comes to mental and emotional, uh, issues, challenges, uh, I, I think it is surprisingly helpful to realize that you're not alone, to Mm -hmm. know that there are people who are, you know, whatever, whatever you might think an accomplishment is who are more accomplished or more successful, however you measure that, whatever yardstick you want to use. And they experience those things too. I think having that knowledge is helpful. Mm -hmm. Another thing that was definitely helpful for me was spending time with some of those people, right? right? People who are willing to admit it. The people in my life who were sort of the more rah-rah cheer, cheerleader, like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You're, you're crushing it, Rand. Like, yeah, yeah. what do you have to worry about? Yeah. That I They meant well. They right. were trying to help. Mm-hmm. But that was much less helpful to me, at least, than the people who said, mm-hmm. I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Or, you know, a lot of people go through that. Yeah. I know someone who has also gone through that. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what what can I do to help rather than, I, I think there's this there's this um, mentality we have that we need to bolster people yeah. and build them up. And that's not necessarily what was at least what was most helpful for me. The yeah. second thing I'd say is that um, almost everyone who experiences this uh, finds that professional therapy is a positive thing that mm-hmm. they should invest in. And you should feel no shame about doing mm-hmm. that. Um, admitting that you have this problem takes an an incredible amount of strength and courage and bravery in an environment that's not always friendly to it, especially in the business world. Right. And so I, I applaud anyone who can stand up and say, yes, I also experienced this. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, you know, being open about it and it's a really important part of the book. So we'll just kind of transitioning a couple more things I want to talk about. Let's talk about your new company. Oh yeah. You know, I, um, I think you really just kind of in the beginning stages, Mm-hmm. I mean, you basically just incorporated it, right? Yeah, that's right. So tell me what it's about. And then let's get into this different approach of you wrote this long blog post, I think last week about what you, cho- how you chose to fund it and why that's different. Yeah. Yeah. So the company itself is called Spark Toro. Mm-hmm. And the concept behind it is that right now today, it is a very challenging manual weeks or month long process, months long process. Mm-hmm 
for web marketers and entrepreneurs and all these other folks who have to do this work to say, I have an audience I want to reach. Where can I go reach them that's not just Google and Facebook? Um, and if you want to broaden your sources and say, oh, well, maybe there's some PR things I could do or some event marketing things I could do, or maybe I could appear in this blog or get coverage in this publication or, you know, guest author or something for uh, uh, this this source uh, or get mentioned by these, you know, influential accounts and brands right. and people that those that practice of identifying, just identifying who those people are uh, is ludicrous. I watched some folks do it. I've done it myself. Yeah. And it's usually a big old Excel spreadsheet <laughs> and a ton of like, you know, go to Google, do a bunch of searching, yeah. go to Twitter, do a bunch of searching, go it's to Instagram. It, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Right. There should be there should be a search engine where you say, I want to reach interior decorators on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And it says, oh, interior decorators on the West Coast. These are the 10 publications they read most frequently. Here's right. the blogs they go to. Here's the podcast they listen to. Mm -hmm. Here's the YouTube channels they subscribe to. How does that not exist yet? I so that's what we're idea. building. That is awesome. And there's there's people who try to solve this problem. I've used some of the tools. It's just forthright. They suck, right? So there's I mean, an there's opportunity. Some, there's some in a few sectors that I think are um, are okay, right? So like PR world, there's Cision, yep. you know, which is mm -hmm. this like big media database, mm -hmm. but it is very focused on exclusively that world. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say to them, hey, what about podcasts? They'll be like, right. what? Podcasts? Yeah. No, get out of here. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's a few others. A few years ago, there was this great company called Lanyard that had a free directory of like every event in the world. Mm -hmm. um, well, many, many events, yeah. uh, especially in the professional world. It was awesome and totally free and searchable. And then it was bought by, I think, Eventbrite and shut down. Sucks. So it's so funny that particular uh, category. I mean, that's what I would love to use. And I'm like, I yeah. just build something for myself. I'm like, there's gotta be something. Right. And so anyways, uh, yeah. So this requires, you know, a lot of web crawling yep. and then social platform crawling mm -hmm. and, and data extraction. And then you have to, you know, there's a lot of personally identifiable information that you have to remove and scrub from those databases. Right. And then a lot of language processing to put them together. And then you build this, mm -hmm. you know, searchable thing. Mm -hmm. And make that not make that engine. And you're but staying in Seattle. To, to staying well, staying in Seattle, but planning right now. It's just myself and my co-founder, right. and we are both planning to be very remote centric. Okay, um, and build a remote, great focus company. Uh, and because we don't know how big this market opportunity is, mm -hmm. and we d neither of us feel comfortable with the, uh, oh yeah, there's definitely a billion dollar market here, <laughs> yeah. you know, for us to chase after. Um, we did not feel comfortable going with venture. That's not the only reason, but it's definitely one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. I feel like as an entrepreneur, the world of venture kind of encourages you to lie until it's the truth. Right. Right? <laughs> you, you craft a pitch that is 80% baloney, mm -hmm. and then you hope that you can somehow make it true in the future. Yeah. And so, but you did just raise... You announced. Yeah, we raised uh, $1.3 million uh -huh. um, from a network of entirely uh, individual investors. Right. So a lot of people in the marketing world, uh, a bunch of people who like run agencies, mm -hmm. a number of people who run software companies mm -hmm. or were founders, those kinds of things. Um, and some some other folks, a bunch of um, a surprising number of real estate CEOs invested in us, like real estate up. software companies. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. So. And yeah, and you structured it a little different. So tell me <laughs> <Very> about- <different. laughs> To some of the key things that you, how you structure it differently yeah. and what that means for folks that if you ever do an exit and, you know, whether some of the things in there. That yeah. I think one of the things that I always 
hated about the classic structure of uh, tech investing mm-hmm. was that either the company sells or goes public or it dies. Yeah. There's no room for like a, you know, what Moz sort of is today, mm-hmm. which is, well, they kick off a lot of profit every year and mm-hmm. they're growing, but not that fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no space for a company like that. Right. right. And that's that's deeply weird to me. It is weird. I, yeah. I thought I always thought that capitalism rewarded yeah. profitability and that was something you should aim for. Yeah. And so this this world of tech is a little odd in that mm-hmm. respect. And so our structure for this funding round allows us to pay dividends if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically don't get to pay ourselves more than a sort of benchmark to, you know, uh, market software. Rates. Yeah. yeah. Market rates, not even market rates for our jobs, but market rates for just software engineers okay. in Seattle. Okay. Uh, so we don't, we don't really make what we would normally make in the market until we pay our investors back through dividends, hmm. uh, the amount of money they've invested. Interesting. And then after that, um, that that salary cap increases. Okay. Another thing that happens is that once we pay our investors back, we also, as founders, um, can take a portion of the profits. Hmm. So we can choose to say, "Hey, we think there's a lot of growth here. Yeah. Next year, we're reinvesting all the money we earned this year." Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, we could say, "Hey, we think that there's a bunch of opportunity, but we don't need all the money we've made. We're yeah. going to pay out, you know, a million dollars this year in." Dividends, and that'll go proportionally to all the investors. Okay, and you didn't get any pushback from the investors; they're pretty open to it. And um, I would say we got uh, a good amount of pushback from a very small number of okay. folks, um, a few of whom didn't end up investing, and a few of whom actually helped us to refine the model and structure to just make it a lot better, interesting, uh, okay. and more fair. And we did. Um, I think we. We talked to people who we knew also had this frustration, right? Mm-hmm. So we targeted people who were like, why is it that no one is allowed to make money unless you exit? Right. Is that yeah. smart? Um, and so finding people like that who complained about it, who we had mm-hmm. had conversations with, uh, that definitely helped grease those wheels. Sure. I mean, you have a track record too, right? So, that didn't hurt. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you talk about, I, I think you broke down the math of how many people you reached out to and invested mm-hmm. in like. Man, this is like 90% of the people we reached out to for your check. So you you built a track record and trust. So that's uh, I think that's that's definitely part of it. And yeah. then wise wise selection. But the you know, the other thing that we really wanted to do is we wanted to say, hey, I don't know whether this model is something a lot of people will embrace in the near term. Mm-hmm. But if Spark Toro does well for its investors and its customers, and if it gains, you know, a fraction of the traction that Moz got, yeah. Uh I think. I hope that there will be people who will try and follow in those footsteps. Yeah. And as a result of that hope, we worked with our attorneys to open source the documents. So mm-hmm. the LLC operating agreement, uh, the funding documents, um, those are all available. Uh, they're in a an, anyone can access it Google Drive folder mm-hmm. uh, that you can find via the blog post. And I already had a couple of people reach out to me and say like, hey, we're going to take this and I use this that. with our attorneys. That's that's great. And, you yeah. know, getting back to, so you, you've probably heard of like this kind of zebra movement of yes. investing, right? No, uh, uh, so Mara yeah. Zapeta, who yeah. is here in Portland, yeah. right? So she mm-hmm. um, she and I have been sort of uh, friends or friendly at mm-hmm. least for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go to Spark Toro's about page, we asked Mara if we could oh, use yeah. her zebras versus unicorns oh, chart. Cool. 
because that's what we want to be. We want to be a zebra. Yeah. And I think, you know, I interviewed one of her uh, partners in the Accelerate Fund. Is, which, oh, cool. And, yeah. and so she um, tell me about it. The, specific, the Pacific Northwest is kind of uniquely positioned for those types of companies as of now, I think. So I just, I, I just love that. And so one thing I want to kind of maybe end the conversation on, again, I, I own an event company. I've been in event marketing for a long time and you speak at a lot of conferences yeah. and <laughs> You know, one of your side projects or one of the things you're talking about is just kind of creating events as a safe space and just kind of rules of engagement. And um, have you made progress on that or what's kind of your thinking around that now that especially you're out speaking a lot about yeah. the book and your new company? So uh, in some ways, I've made some progress, but it's been um, much less than I wanted. So, uh, yes, when I announced that I was leaving Moz um, on my last day there in February, I talked about three things I was doing, the book, the company, and this not-for-profit called Project Event Safe. Mm -hmm. And Project Event Safe uh, has not yet gotten off the ground, mostly because of legal issues. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out, so the big thing that I wanted to do that, that I'm very dead set on eventually solving, um, even if it does take a long time, is that a small number of bad apples are spoiling the whole bunch. Yeah. And I know you've observed this, mm -hmm. right, from your own experiences, mm -hmm. but, you know, there are these guys, it's almost always guys, um, who go to events and who treat them like a, a Tinder or something, right? Where they, they and and not even necessarily that, right? They're, they're not respectful to um, the women or sometimes men that they hit on. Mm -hmm. They are, um, they, they treat people poorly. And then when an event, recognizes, you know, gets a report of bad behavior, they'll take someone like that and they'll ban them from future events. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't stop them at all. They just, they just Move point that. to the website where they were a speaker mm -hmm. that year and they pitch a bunch of other events. And there's so many in the professional world right. that you can essentially treat this like a, yeah, like a crappy, evil dating, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, system. And, and I have seen some truly awful behavior. Um, I had, um, a young woman who wrote to me last year after, um, someone had attempted to rape her at an event. Jeez. And, uh, she talked about how, uh, this, this person was a speaker there. She told the organizers, the organizers promised her they would take some action. They reinvited that that guy to speak to keynote wow. the next year. Wow. Uh, and when I got this email from her, you know, I reached out to these event organizers and I, I, Dan, I cannot describe how infuriated yeah. I was. Right. Like I, um, I told these guys, I will, I will burn your shit to the ground. Yeah. Like I'm taking this public and yeah. And, and I have a big audience, yeah. right? So I'm very lucky in that respect yeah. that I can do something like that. Uh, and they backed off immediately and apologized. They sent her an apology. They uninvited this guy, right? They took action. Mm -hmm. But it required that like third-party involvement. Right. And so the idea behind Project Event Safe was, is there some way to scale this where if you act like a creep somewhere, mm -hmm. that that go that there's a record of that that other events can access. Right. Um, now it turns out there's a bunch of laws in the United States that make that very difficult. Uh, and so I've been working with a legal team out of New York. Okay who specializes in this, in this kind of thing to figure out like, what can we say? What can we record? What can we amplify? And unfortunately I'm a pro bono client for them. So, <laughs> so it's on, it's, it's on the not, slow burn, it's on the slow burn. <laughs> yeah. but I, well, I hope to eventually get that. Yeah. It's important. And in, in the world I, you know, I, I work, I'm, I've been fortunate for the most, I, I 
work with great people, speakers, and especially here in Portland, the community is, I think, really conscious of that. But some of the events I've done around the country have experienced that and it's, uh, it's much needed. So, um, I mean, I just think of all the opportunity. My my career was built on the back of events, right? In the early days of, you know, back when the company was called Mm -hmm. SEO Moz, I got invited to speak at all these places because of my blog. And Mm -hmm. I never, never had to think twice about, oh, let's fly to some strange city that I've never been to before and get in a cab with some other speaker and go to the hotel bar with this person. And, oh, they want to have a drink in their room Mm -hmm. to talk about something privately. No problem. Never have to think about it. Venture capital, same thing. Yeah. When I was raising VC in the Valley, I can't tell you how many events were at a bar, at a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, two of us over coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I never had to worry about, oh, does does this guy think this is something different? Right. But for women, that is always in the calculus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, let me know how I can help on that. Oh, I appreciate it. Because I, I think it's a, a really important thing. So, well, Rand, so you're speaking here in Portland. I know this episode will air after you do, but you're at WeWork. You're, you're going to different cities. Where else are you going to be headed to? Kind of to, to kind of talk about the book and Yeah, and so I did um, Seattle and uh, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portland's my third stop. And then I have uh, San Diego at the end of this week and San Francisco in a couple of weeks. Um I think that ends the official portion of the book tour, but I have a, a ton of speaking engagements all over. I'll be in uh, Edinburgh this summer okay. for the Turing Festival. Yeah. And um, uh, my wife is actually giving a talk here in Portland at World Domination Summit. Oh, great. So I'm, I'm really excited to see to see that and to come back down. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of stuff in the fall in, in the UK and um, in Europe later this yeah. year. And your wife speaks like, you, I think I've heard you mention in other talks, like you and your wife speak at the same event sometimes, sometimes right? Sometimes. So, Only a couple of times that's happened. But okay. um, unfortunately, both times it has, she got better speaking scores than me. <laughs> so, so I got to step up my you game. You got to step up your game. So, <laughs> well, Rana, hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.